Good day, my friends, and welcome to the Craig Shapiro Tennis Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by the legendary Sergio Tacchini, the brand worn by John McEnroe, Vitas Gerolitis, Novak Djokovic, and Gabriella Sabatini. Check them out at SergioTacchini.com and use the code CRAIG30 in all caps to receive 30% off of your order. Arete Complete is the official towel of the Craig Shapiro Tennis Podcast. The towel was originally created to deal with the slipping and sliding that happens in hot yoga. Arete Complete is the official towel of Peloton. And the tennis towels are ultra-absorbent, beautifully designed works of art. The colors really pop like nothing I've ever seen. The design is phenomenal. And listen... Sweat management is a real thing, and there's really nothing worse than a towel that isn't absorbent. This is the solution to those problems. See them at aretecomplete.com, A-R-E-T-E-C-O-M-P-L-E-T-E.com, and use the code SHAP20, in all caps, for 20% off of your order. She was born in Sofia, Bulgaria, and in 1985 got to three in the world. She appeared in 37 finals, winning 19, and posted wins over Everett, Navratilova, and Steffi Graf, to name a few. She is the oldest of three sisters that all got inside the top ten. Manuela Maleva is today's guest. Can you hear me? I hear you well. That's pretty nice. I mean, to be all the way across the world. Yes. I'm in. I'm actually in South America. Okay. You're in uh, Eastern Europe. Yep. But do I have it right? You live in Switzerland. Yes, I live most of the time in Switzerland, uh, but I'm very often in Bulgaria because my whole family is here. You're probably <laughs> one of the most famous Bulgarians there ever was. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> The woman you hear quietly giggling is former world number three. She is one of three sisters who all got inside of six in the world, which is just an incredible, incredible story. And that's Manuela Maleva. Um, just want to, first of all, say thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Now, I, I trust that you spent the uh, you, you winded the holidays out in Sofia. Is that where you are? I'm in Sofia, Bulgaria. I arrived uh, from Switzerland on the 29th. Traveling is very difficult right now. Uh, my father was not in very good health, but I'm happy to say that he's fine now. So I really wanted to come. We wanted to come with the kids, with my kids, uh, to see the whole family, the aunts and uncles and cousins. But, well, it's complicated traveling. So I, I came on my own, and right now I'm in Bulgaria. Came on your own. Traveling is not the easiest <laughs> at the moment. With that said, uh, as you know, we do a five-set format. Let's move into the first set. It's the off-the-court report. Now, keeping with that theme, I understand you had COVID this summer. Is that right? Yes, I did. Yes. I was one of the lucky ones that had it uh, just as a normal flu. Explain what happened. Uh, you, you, you were in Switzerland? 
I actually traveled, so I I came back from Bulgaria to Switzerland two two days before that. So I don't know if I caught it in in Bulgaria, if it was uh, traveling the airports. Although you know we keep the distances, masks, and all that. And I got uh, sick in Bulgaria. I didn't pay much attention to it because for two or three days I was feeling a bit lousy. I was having pains and aches a little bit in the body, but no fever, no coughing, no problems with the, with the breathing. And after three days I was, I was okay. So I, I, I checked with my friend's doctors if I should go get tested, but the symptoms were very light. They said no need. And about 10 days later, I lost my odor. Sense of smell. Yes, and the, sen the sense of smell. So then I said, okay, uh, it happens to me also when I have the flu, but uh, knowing that the COVID is around, I thought that it would be better if I get tested. As it was the weekend, it took a bit longer to, to have the results and they, they came positive. But I was not any more contagious because uh, it was almost two weeks from the from the first symptoms. And what? And now, did your did your children catch it? No, no. nobody. This was the crazy thing because uh, my kids are at home. Um, okay, we don't hug and kiss the way we usually do. They're young people, so uh, they, they go out a bit more. So we try to be careful, but still we use the same kitchen, the same bathrooms. Uh, so they, they, were, they were all negative. The friends I had seen during that period, nobody had got sick either. I mean, it's a strange thing. I, you know, yes. I had Patrick McEnroe on the show, and Patrick had the same situation. He he had it, and his wife and children in the same home did not have it. So it's a very did not. Okay. It's hard to know what the situation is. Let's move into the second set. This is the on the court reports, typically where we talk about the business of tennis. Okay. I'm curious, how invested in tennis are you now? You've been fairly scarce on the tennis landscape over the last <laughs> 20, 25, 30 years. Um, and, or maybe not there, I should say, last 20 years. Well, yes, time goes by. You can say more than 20. No, no, I don't want to say more than 20. It makes me feel a little too <laughs> yes, But, you know, I'm, I'm in the mix, and I haven't heard, I had not heard your name until you popped up in my social media. Mm -hmm. Are you involved in tennis? To tell you honestly, in the beginning when I retired, I didn't want to hear much about tennis. Uh, I needed to, um, to start another life. Uh, so it took me a while to start going to some tournaments again. I, I went back to Wimbledon, to, to Paris, as they're close by. Uh, in Europe, I have not gone back to the U.S. Open since I played there the last time, neither to the Australian Open. Uh, I went for an exhibition in Japan about four years ago because they were celebrating the 30th anniversary of the Pan Pacific Open, and I was the first winner there. And I have done some uh, charity matches here in Europe, but I have never wanted really to coach. Uh, so 
that's the reason I have stayed on the side, but keep on following, you know, every tournament that is on TV, uh, the, the results. And we have a very big tennis club in Bulgaria, the Maleva Tennis Club, where my mother is spending all day there. The Maleva Club. Yes. How many courts? How many courts? We have six outdoors, four indoors, a fitness, a restaurant. And now are your sisters over there? Do they practice over there? My sisters are over there also. And Magdalena, Maggie is the one who is heading the, the academy in our club. My mother's legacy was also to wanting to leave something behind. And so it's a, it's a special place. It's a nice place. And uh, Maggie now is uh, developing it a lot more. So I'm helping when I'm in Bulgaria. You are? You're yes, helping? You're I'm on the helping court. on the, the court. court. Yes, on yes. the court. Yes, I even, I'm still, you can see now that I'm still in a <laughs> tennis outfit. We, uh, I didn't coach. We just had fun with Maggie and we played a little bit today. You practiced? Yes, I did. I had not hit the ball in a year because I, I've had some pains and aches. Um, you know, getting old and uh, professional tennis is not uh, the healthiest <laughs> Uh, way to um, to stay. But how in. are you? How are you hitting the ball? Pretty well. I'm hitting the ball well, surprisingly. Well. <laughs> <laughs> so it's our third time in in five days hitting. The first day I was a bit stiff, but today I could feel that I. That's the third time I've hit. So practicing <laughs> are you still uh, the best sister or are you not the best sister anymore? no i maggie will be the best now she's in she's eight years younger and she's in uh she's in good shape she's in good shape now yeah. are, do you got do you do you have a relationship with dimitrov do you know him yes i know him actually my sister katerina is the closest to him because her husband is he They've known him since he was a little boy. And uh, Katya's husband has uh, been kind of his agent for many, many years. So I, I know him and we've talked and I've gone to, to see his matches. But uh, my sister Katerina is the one that knows him the best. Um, can you tell me anything about uh, him or what you know uh, about Gregor <laughs> moving into the, the new year? Is there anything interesting that you've learned? I, uh, you will be disappointed. I don't know much, and I haven't asked my sister actually to to know what is happening. This was on my mind these days to to ask her what, where is he, where he's practicing. I've seen that he's been practicing in Monaco, in Monte Carlo, but I don't know much. Would it be fair to say that he's? Uh... The, the the he's a proud bulgarian that the mm. people of bulgaria love him that he's a special he's a special talent yes absolutely uh people adore him the problem is that they adore him when he wins <laughs> and then uh, in our eastern european countries it's uh, a bit tough when, when when one of ours loses then people can get really hard 
and now with social media it's it's really not fun sometimes when when he loses but uh he's a very popular uh, person he's otherwise very loved and appreciated so when he plays the whole of bulgaria is behind the tv or the computers or whatever watching him is it interesting for you to see you know his popularity particularly i have a feeling that when you were at your height the tennis wasn't even on tv in bulgaria yeah that's right <laughs> it's it's very very different when i think that when i started playing on the tour we had to call the journalists in bulgaria to tell them my results if somebody knew what i was doing even you know uh that there was i will tell you a, a funny story uh, i i'm sure you remember the virginia slim series Of course. So so uh people in Bulgaria didn't know what Virginia Slims was and <laughs> one day uh there was uh, an article with, with the result that Manuela Maleva beat Virginia Slims in the final uh, in the semifinals of somewhere you know. <laughs> so just to tell you the cigarette as the opponent. Yeah, exactly. So just to say that things are so so different um and uh, now everybody knows everything on live you know these things are happening um to tell you honestly sometimes i think that i also lived in a good period where social media was not so big because uh, this puts so much pressure on the person who becomes popular and you have to be mentally very strong to um, to stand on to that pressure so um sometimes it is very good it's incredible what is happening and what we can know and what we can see and on the other hand it's not easy to deal with all that now i read um last question now, i i read that you're politically active um is yes. that true Yes this is true. Uh Bulgaria I'm a, a politically active in Bulgaria. Switzerland is uh, doesn't need me there. <laughs> right. It's a quite ordered country and uh uh but Bulgaria is the poorest country in in the European Union. Corruption is at levels that we cannot really imagine. and uh i have decided that i don't feel like staying on the side um and just wanting something to happen uh because i i i have stayed always very close to bulgaria i mean my my i was born here my my heart is here and uh, um uh i'm a popular person in bulgaria our, our whole family and i have decided that uh I want to help uh for things to get better different uh in Bulgaria. So what have you done? So uh 4 years ago I with some uh, friends we created a political party that is called Yes Bulgaria. None of us have been into politics. We have been to a lot of manifestations and uh I have been opposed to to the governing of the country for for the last uh, 15 20 years 
But uh, so that as long as good people don't get into parliament, nothing can change. With those friends, we created uh, our political party. We are the strongest opposition uh, right now uh, in Bulgaria. There is no opposition in parliament. They're all the same. Uh, so it's not easy. It, it gets scary sometimes because in about very powerful deals that we are trying to um, to break. Do you have ambition to run for office? I actually cannot under Bulgarian laws because I have a dual citizenship. So I have to give up my Swiss citizenship, which for the moment I'm not sure that I want to do. So what my goal is just to help that people get into parliament that will really think of, of the people in, in Bulgaria. Let's move into our third set. This is the portion of our show where we talk about your career. Mm-hmm. You know, I understand that your mom is of Armenian descent. Yes. And that she was a great player. Mm-hmm. Where does your tennis begin? My tennis begins with my Armenian grandfather. He discovered tennis when he was 35 years old, um, just as an amateur. Uh, tennis was not a popular sport at all in Bulgaria, but he lived across uh, one of the only tennis clubs in Sofia. So this is where he started and fell in love. And he brought my mother uh, to the tennis court when she was 12 years old already. So she was not that young. Mm-hmm. She's been nine times Bulgarian champion. The years when she was competing, she couldn't travel much because those were the communist years. So uh, there was no way she she can travel except for the Eastern European countries. We grew up at the tennis club with my mother who was still competing. Then she became a coach. It was easier for her that we be around. So that's how we, we started. That's it, just at the club with your mother. Yes, and then nobody knew anything about um, tennis outside of the Eastern European countries. My grandfather, as an Armenian, was living in the States. Uh, He immigrated in the 1960s from Bulgaria. Your grandpa moved to the United States? Yes. To where? Uh, He was in the beginning in New York, and when he retired uh, with my grandmother, they went to Florida. So one day he sent a tennis magazine to to my mother saying, look, uh, there is this uh, tournament in Miami that is called the Orange Bowl. Would you like to try and sign Manuela for, for that tournament? We got our visa to leave the country two hours before the flight left. So this, I was 12 years old. So probably 19, 1977. 1979. 1979. 1979. My grandfather picked us up at the airport in, in Jacksonville. We drove down to Miami. He brought me my second racket. I had only one racket, so he bought me one more racket in case a, stri- a string breaks the wooden Wilson Chris Everett and my first real tennis shoes, the Adidas Stan Smith. 
and I started playing there. The draw was 128, and I I was third. You semied. I semied, and then I lost to Chris Everett's sister Claire from Match Point in the semifinals. But then for third place, I beat Stephanie Rehi, if you remember her. Of course. What was it like to be in Flamingo Park? It was unreal. Yeah. It was unreal. This 12-year-old kid that has hardly played any tournaments abroad, getting to the States, everybody had nice clothes, nice outfits, nice rackets. I had never seen all that. But okay, I played match by match. One of my toughest matches we played four hours was against uh, Sean Stafford. And uh, the others, I don't remember that well, but some of the girls were on the tour after that. I played a few orange balls after that and somehow it all started there. So So it begins with this one trip and you make a breakout. What happens to you next? I start playing a bit more international junior tournaments. I won the Orange Bowl when I was 14. The next year? Two years later. Sorry. And then I became European champion under 14, under 18. And when I was 15 years old, I had won a prize from one of the junior tournaments in Italy to get a wild card into a 10000 dollar tournament this is where we we all begin with the first points Uh, my mother had not told me that we had just enough money for me to to play the first tournament and if i play well then we can continue Uh, if i don't we we have to go back but she didn't tell me this she preserved me from that and that first ten thousand dollar tournament in caserta i got to the final then I got the wild card for the next one and the next one and the next one. And I played like almost 100 matches <laughs> in six weeks. But I got my first ranking, 157. That allowed me to get into the qualifying of Paris in Roland Garros. And I passed the qualifyings, winning some matches from match points. Match point down. You had tough matches. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had tough matches, match points down. In Paris, they did not allow my mother, the communist government didn't allow my mother to come with me. I don't know for what reason. Uh, So I was alone, 15 years old, not speaking a word of English or French. I don't know how I managed to get to the courts, to practice, to science. (laughs) And uh, I had to get on the bus from a place that the Bulgarian embassy had put me in. I had to change two buses to get to to Roland Garros. And the, uh, the second week, they allowed my mother to come and I won the juniors. I beat Penny Bark in the in the finals and Carling Bassett in the semifinals. And uh, with playing well in Paris, it allowed me to get into Wimbledon, qualifying of Wimbledon that I passed. I lost second round, but for the US Open, I was in the main row. I mean, that's an unbelievable 1982. Yes, 19. 19- 1982, exactly, yeah. I mean, that's an incredible 1982. So it's not as simple as you won the French juniors and then turned pro. You had already been sort of, you'd already been pro. Yeah, kind of. Kind of. 
It was a little bit more mixed up then, huh? Imagine that coming from Bulgaria, I'm the first athlete that earns professionally any prize money. So the Bulgarian government didn't know what to do with me and the money I was starting to earn. Uh, we are talking about small amounts, but uh, like uh, when I won $500 in in Italy for the final of the last tournament, this was just in, an incredible amount. <laughs> but um, it allowed us to, to continue uh, playing more and more. So we had no idea who was professional, what, what was amateur, what was professional. We, we were learning step by step, me and my mother. We, we had no idea what world tennis was, what were the big tournaments. I saw for the first time uh, Chris Everett or, or Borg live there in Roland Garros. It was just a dream come true, you know, so... Uh, and and I, I heard you say that you didn't even have this stuff on TV. There was no no, no, no. TV. You never watched the French Open or the Wimbledon no. or anything. <laughs> Another anecdote about my two-handed backhand. Nobody in Bulgaria knew that this existed as a shot. And one of the magazines my grandfather kept on sending us, the tennis magazine, uh, we saw pictures there with my mother. I was 12 years old already. We saw pictures of Borg and, uh, and Chris Evert and this stroke that they're holding the racket with two hands, this backhand with two hands. And my mother was thinking, what is this now? And she said, uh, we were on the court and she said, would you like to try it with two hands and see what happens? And my backhand was just so strong and so good <laughs> that it, it stayed like this and I just hit some incredible shots and my mother said oh great just stay like this <laughs> once once you once you saw the picture you gave it a shot yes and that's how you developed your two two-fisted backhand yes exactly <laughs> so you know you you were in 37 finals you got to three. Uh, th uh, well, what, what do you mean right. 37 finals? You, you won 19, you won 19 yeah. tournaments okay. and you lost yes. 18 tournaments, okay. right? Okay. 37 yeah, finals. I, I, I didn't know that, that, uh, that number actually. 37 <laughs> finals. Incredible. Okay. okay. <laughs> How would you describe your pro career to someone who maybe never had an opportunity to see you play? I was um, a very steady player. I was very shy in the beginning, coming from Bulgaria and not uh, you know, speaking the language, being alone, not knowing where I am, uh, what is happening, uh, was a bit tough. But my biggest wins are the wins over Chris, Chris Everett and Martina Navratilova, my Olympic medal at the Seoul Olympic Games was uh, an incredible moment. I was top 10 player for 10 years. Did you enjoy being on tour? It sounds like the tour was hard for you. It sounds like it beat you up. It's not only the tour. I cannot say that I, I played my best tennis the last six months of my career. Really? Uh, yes. Uh, when I had said that I'm retiring, 
that I knew when I was retiring. And those six months, I hardly lost a match the, the last six months. I finished at number five. I won my last tournament in Osaka from match points again. Why, why do you think that once you announced you were quitting that you'd stop losing? <laughs> because I put a bit less pressure on myself. And I, I really played knowing that I don't have to defend any more points, that I don't have to defend any more results. Yeah, everything was going to be over soon. And I'm, I'm really happy that I had those last six months where I really enjoyed. Probably what describes me also is that I, I didn't enjoy uh, that much the matches because um, for me losing was a disaster. It took me always a few days to swallow <laughs> a defeat. And... Uh, so, okay, I had incredible results, but uh, the price mentally I was paying was, was very high. Now, you married your coach at, at, at uh, a certain juncture. Um, <laughs> does, do you look back at that as a, a happy moment? Was that a good thing? Did you play good tennis when you were married? Yes, it was a happy thing. He made me a more aggressive player. I started working uh, physically more specifically and uh, my physical conditioning coach was Pierre Paganini, Roger Federer's coach. He actually started with me in tennis. Paganini, uh, you, you were Paganini's first uh, tennis yes. player. Yeah, yeah. He had just how, did started, that, how did that happen? He had just started working for the Swiss Federation and um, when I was in Switzerland uh, practicing between, between tournaments, I was practicing at the National Tennis Center there. This is where we met and my ex-husband, my ex-coach, he knew that I had to improve physically to keep on improving in, in, in tennis. And he had contacted him to, to see if we can start working. And uh, we started working together, and we did it for eight years. We were together with Pierre. Then that was a good experience. You got good. You it, got it fit. Was a, yeah, it was, I got very fit. Uh, Pierre Paganini is an incredible guy, uh, humanly speaking, and professionally as someone who, who knows how to improve physically the players. He's also incredible, so... I'm lucky to have had him as a coach and as a friend also. Did you make friends on tour? Uh, did you have, aside from your sisters, mm. uh, did it, it seems like you, you operated fairly alone. I didn't make uh, much friends, but it was um, the way the tour was. I, I don't think that there were a lot of friendships. Uh, because there was the competition between between us. We are good friends now. When we see each other now or when we go on social media and suddenly I, we start talking and we, we share videos or whatever, uh, we, we spend some, some good moments. But during the tour uh, years, you 
I didn't have many, many friends, just difficult to open up. And we were traveling very much alone. Now, now it's very different with the player. There are about 10 people traveling often, which I, I don't know if it's good or not. I'm not commenting that, but uh, it, it, it could be very lonely uh, sometimes on the tour. I, I've, I've talked with Tim Maya. And Tim mm-hmm. Mayot shared the same sentiments mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. the locker room was a tense place and mm-hmm. he didn't have one. He had very few friends that shared his interests and, and, and what mm-hmm. he liked to do. And he just found it a very lonely place. But he also shared that he quit. He stopped mm-hmm. because he realized he couldn't win a grand slam. He couldn't win a major. Mm-hmm that the best tennis he could play wasn't going to be good enough, that Agassi and Sampras were coming. Did that that happen to you? I think uh, this happened to me exactly. I felt that one... I was traveling since I was 12 years old. I was 27, which is considered very young right now, but I was really tired. And I had... I felt that I had given absolutely everything from myself. Who could have imagined uh, everything I I achieved coming from Bulgaria? And as I'm someone who is very hard on myself and never satisfied uh, that I have done enough, but at one point I felt that I really had given everything from myself and winning a Grand Slam would be a miracle playing my best tennis. Seven matches against girls like Graf or Sabatini, Sanchez uh, was, was tough. I, I, I have beaten each one of them, but seven matches in a row in a Grand Slam tournament, I thought that uh, physically I, I, I couldn't, uh, I wouldn't be able to do it. Mentally, okay, sometimes... Uh, this is the reason why I, I'm happy with the way I finished. I couldn't have wished for a better end to, to my career. I didn't want to be forced. I'm the lucky, one of the lucky ones who finished at the top. A lot of players, when I won Osaka as my last tournament, uh, said, oh, you will see in a, few, uh, in a few months you will be back, you will be missing the tour. I never looked back. I, it was just perfect. I was happy, uh, and I was starting something new. Manuela Maleva beats Eva Maioli in a rough three-setter in Osaka and rides off into the night. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> Let's move into the fourth set. This is the 10-ball scramble. Okay. I just say something, and then mm-hmm. you say what comes in your mind. Okay. okay. We go. We go fast. We don't go slow. Oh God. <laughs> Your favorite racket. Wilson. Which one? The Wilson. Uh, Chris uh, Wilson. Chris Everett. <laughs> and which is your current racket? I play with my sister's Yonix rackets. You play with your sister's Yonix. Which color is that one? Is it the Osaka one? Which one uh, does to, she play with? To, today was a blue one. I <laughs> changed. The blue one. The curious yes. one. Yes. The curious one. Yeah, How did exactly. it feel? Uh, every racket feels good now. <laughs> every racket feels good to you. Yeah. That's fun. It's, it sounds like you love tennis again. I'm happy to sort of see that 
I kind of, I'm kind of happy to see that. Um, what size is your grip? Um, four and one fourth. Four and a quarter. Yes. And how did you string your racket back when you were winning all those matches, all those tournaments? Uh, I was stringing uh, 27, 25 kilos. Natural gut. Yes. What was your best endorsement? What was your best endorsement deal? Um, it was Wilson. Uh, at the end, I was playing with their clothes, shoes, and rackets. And um, I have to to say this about Wilson also is that they made special rackets for me because I had very bad problems with my wrists. And we found out that the, hard, the rackets were too hard, so I needed to find a more flexible racket. You're playing with too stiff of rackets and your wrists were yes. having yeah. problems. Yeah, yeah. So Wilson made a special rackets for me that I still have at home with the exact size, weight, balance, and so on. They, at the end, when I finished, they, they gave me all the rackets they had uh, produced for me. How cool. How many do you have left? I must have new ones, about five or six more left. Nice. Now, did I, do I have it right? I, I want to just back up for one second. Mm -hmm. Did you hurt yourself catching a ball? Did, yes. that, impa did that impact your career? Um, we didn't finally impact a lot. Uh, it, it, it happened at the U.S. Open. A ball boy, uh, we were playing doubles. Uh, I had won my singles match and we were playing doubles with my sister Maggie. And the ball boy threw the ball I, I was serving and I just, my finger crossed the ball and it broke. Oh, come uh, on. Yes, believe it or not. I thought I had broken my, my fingernail. I tried to put it up and the, the finger was going down. <laughs> and I realized that the finger was broken. I tried to continue playing, but it, uh, it was uh, my left hand, uh, but I couldn't hit a two-handed backhand. That was right at the end of your career. No. Uh, well, oh, it wasn't. It was, okay. Uh, nine, 92. Okay, uh, I'm sorry. 92. Uh, well, I finished at 19, 93. was my last US Open I played. So mm -hmm. I... I Played, I got to the semifinals at the US Open with a broken finger. Unbelievable. Yes. <laughs> Where do you keep your trophies? In the basement. Where do you keep your credentials? Did you save your credentials? Uh, I have some, yes, in drawers, albums, uh, yeah, different places. Your greatest win? Ah, tough one. Martina Navratilova, U.S. Open, round of 16, uh, night match. I had lost the year before, six love, six love, night match. I couldn't serve in the lights. It was just horrible. So I had a nightmare before that, that match the year after. I was just praying to win a, a game. So, and I won the match. We played incredibly well, full crowd, uh, it was uh, it was a match I'll never forget. Navratilova at the U.S. I mean, you can't do better than that. No, <laughs> <not> <laughs> <much>. <laughs> um, your worst loss. 
Is there one that you still haven't gotten over? Uh, there are quite a few. I mean, a six love, six love on center court. Uh, the US Open is not a very happy <laughs> moment. Maybe one that I, I regret uh, the most is Monica Seles at the quarterfinals. But I cannot tell you which year in Roland Garros. I lost from 4-1 in the third set. Uh, 5-4, love. And I think that year I could have won Roland Garros. She won the tournament. She was an up-and-coming up uh, young star. I was playing really well. If I had won that match, I think I could have won the, the Roland Garros tournament. But, well, it didn't happen, so... Oh, man. Sometimes the losses hurt more than the wins. Oh, some losses hurt <laughs> very much. <laughs> Your favorite tournament? Uh, I loved playing in Australia. And uh, my favorite is probably the Hopman Cup because we've played in front of full crowds, but with a little bit less pressure because there were no points to defend. But still, we were playing, uh, you know, to, to, to our best. The crowd uh, there was just incredible. I won it uh, in 92 with Jacob Lasik. Uh, we beat the Germans, the Czechs, uh, we, the, the Spanish. Uh, so, um, yeah, and in general, Australia. Japan also. That's interesting that you enjoy the, the team competition mm. and that you refer back to defending points as like a cause of anxiety. It gave you it sounds like it gave you a lot of anxiety. Your favorite city? Paris. Your favorite court. Could be any court in the world. Um somewhere in Japan probably. I I played always well there, indoors, carpet. Felt very, very comfortable in Japan. You're sort of big, you were sort of big in Japan, I think. Yes, I became a big, big star in Japan, like the ones you only see, you know, on, on social media or people would be sleeping in front of the hotel just to get an autograph. I got my racket stolen because this guy just wanted to have something from me. And that was because you won the tournament in Osaka? Is that Would that be fair to say? I, I won one of my first tournaments that I won were, was in Tokyo uh, in 1984. So that's what set it uh, off. I was 17 and that set it off. And it seems that the Japanese liked my personality. And I, I got a lot of letters for demanding um, um, to get married. <laughs> To some of my fans, so I had wow, a lot Manuela of Wow, Manuela Maleva, <laughs> big in Japan. Very yeah, cool. Yeah. <laughs> big entourage or lean and mean? I think we already touched it, but why don't mm. you just let... Somewhere in the middle. How many did you travel with when you were three in the world? Uh, I was with my mother. If she could come with me, uh, because my sister Katerina had started, she's two year, years younger than me. So she had started playing 
following my path, the juniors and the 10,000. So my mother had to split between the two of us. Uh, so often I was either with her or, or alone. My father had to stay in, in Bulgaria. We were not allowed to leave the whole family. The government wanted a guarantee that we would, would come back. So my father had to stay at home and he was taking care of our little sister, Maggie. They were afraid you'd defect. Yes. And you know what happened? The first time uh, we uh, all five got out of, the, out of Bulgaria without planning it, just playing different tournaments. Maggie had started playing and we found each other, the five of us, at one point we got to my grandparents' house in, in Florida. The Bulgarian government had not realized that, but the American government knew that. So they went, they came, they knocked on the door, they asked to speak with my mother, it was FBI asking us if we want a political asylum. We said, no, thank you. Wow. <laughs> they came to ask if you wanted to defect. Yes. But uh, we had earned already, the Bulgarian government couldn't stop us anymore. We had become too big uh, and it would have been a real problem. I was already quite famous in Bulgaria. I was on the tour. I, I was in the top 10. So, And then 89 came and things changed drastically. 89? Yes, uh, the 10th of November when the Berlin Wall fell and when communism got dismantled, or I don't know what word to, to say. So from that moment on, we could, uh, we could travel really free. From that moment? Yeah. Until then, it was complicated. Had you had conversations of defecting? Was that, had that ever been on the table? No, not really. Uh, uh, I, I don't know why. We, were, we knew that our home was here in Bulgaria. No, it was not. It, was it just not. wasn't it on the was, table. No, it was not on the table. It was hard to imagine for a lot of people. A lot of people would have really just tried to leave. But we, we liked our home where it was. And uh, we were confident probably, or my parents believed that things will change one day and that they will not stay always the way they were. And they did change. Manuela Maleva, what a story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> now, let's move into our fifth and final set. This is the Queen of the Court. If uh, you could make a change in tennis mm -hmm. with just an easy swing of the racket without any aggravation, what might it be? This is a very difficult question. If there is one thing I can change is probably that tennis players live a little bit more outside of the balloon they they live in see there is something else besides tennis which was my case also you know i when i played the, the only thing the most important thing in my life was tennis 
maybe with growing up, you see that um, things happen in the world that are, you know, that are more important than tennis. Are, are you happy with tennis now? Are, does, do, do you have good feelings about tennis? I'm happy I play, played it when I played it. What I don't like maybe that much now is that it has become very business-like. With one player, there are 10 people that travel. So I think that there is quite much pressure on that player who has to earn. Okay, now they're earning a lot more money, but still it's uh, it's too much of a business and a, a little bit less humane. Manuel and Maleva liked it liked it more organic. You liked yeah, it a little okay. bit less. <laughs> no, I'm saying a little less. Uh, Find the words. A little less strident, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Di- difficult to find the words, or difficult to explain like this, uh, just in, in a few phrases. But I hope that tennis will be back, because. Uh, Right now, with the way things happen with COVID, I cannot imagine how difficult it is with the players that depend on tennis or, uh, you know, financially, or also something that you have done all your life and suddenly you cannot do it anymore. Uh, this is a lot of stress and I, I hope uh, tennis will come back in a better place. Maybe this COVID crisis is going to make us realize what are the important things in life. Manuela Maleva, you've been through the fire. And um, (laughs) it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. I wish you nothing but uh, good vibes for 2021. And like I said, thank you again. And you are released. Okay, thank you very much. It was really nice. Huge thank you to Manuela Maleva. And thank you to Sergio Tacchini. See them at SergioTacchini.com and use my code CRAIG30 in all caps at checkout to receive 30% off of your order. And once again, Arete Complete is the official towel of the Craig Shapiro Tennis Podcast. They are A-R-E-T-E-C-O-M-P-L-E-T-E dot com. The towels are a tremendous gift for any tennis player. Use my code SHAP20 in all caps to receive a 20% discount. Happy New Year to everyone. I hope you guys have a terrific year. If you have not done it yet, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts. And share the show with your friends. Max Loeb edited the show. Our music is by Brian Senti. We'll be back next time with more of the most interesting voices in the sport. Until then, I'm Craig Shapiro, and you are released.